0: The motherfuckers uh welcome to episode whatever the fuck it is of a thompson and other disappointments um this one is a uh a episode of fuck this week which is a sort of big brother's little brother of a thompson and other disappointments so what i do if this is your first time listening to this um i have a, a video podcast which i then release out as an audio podcast as well on spotify and itunes and youtube and um, I get guests on and, and we talk about life, love, and the universe, politics, dystopia, tech, whatever. Um, but then also, if if I've had a guest cancel on me, or if there hasn't been an episode for a week or or ten days, I'll do one of these little "fuck this week" things, and that's what this is. It's basically we're going over the stories of the last few days, and we're just ripping them to shreds. We're just saying "fuck this week." It's just a like, what? How bad can things get? Because it seems like every day every other day there is a new low of barrel scraping idiocy uh, that manifests as british politics um so that's that's the concept guys is when i don't have a guest or somebody lets me down or cancels or, or whatever um i i say okay you know what let's just let's just talk about the last few days so let's see how we go it does i'm not gonna lie it feels a bit weird talking to myself for an hour um but this is what happens when when you get this. This should be the the incentive for people to not pull out of an appearance on this podcast. Oh, fuck. We're going to make make him talk to himself like a loony for an hour. Um, you know, this is this is not fair on the people that subscribe to this podcast to make them listen to just him for an hour. Christ. Anyway, let's get into it. Uh, We've got loads to pull apart this time. Um, So thanks very much for joining me for this episode of Fuck This Week slash Abe Thompson and Other Disappointments. Let's get into it. Um, So Scottish independence is never far from the headlines. Um, You know, it feels like there's not an hour that goes by where there isn't either um, a British slash Westminster politician... Uh, gleefully overlooking the Scottish perspective of Scottish independence and the the ever-growing hunger for independence up in Scotland um, and and handling it very badly, if I'm being very honest. Uh, I mean, I say this as a home county's Englishman. You know, I don't want to see the union break up, but I can't ignore how (laughs) dismally the issue of Scottish independence has been handled and, and continues to be handled. It's like... Westminster politicians have no understanding or tact or skill at, at juggling something as sensitive and emotional as the desire to have true independence in in one of our nations. Um, and, you know, you look at, at the situation a few years ago, we had we had the referendum on independence before. Uh, and you know what? It was it, it swung in our favor in favor of keeping the union intact. But i feel like that should have been a warning shot that should have been a moment of clarity for westminster politicians to kind of say all right well you know (laughs) we we scraped through here guys by the skin of our teeth but there's obviously some ill feeling and there's obviously a lot of kid glovesing that we need to do to make these scots feel like they're part of something worth being a part of right that should have been the mindset following that referendum. Like, let's really try and rally behind Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland. Let's try and keep ourselves together. Let's make, let's feel like one big happy family. That should have been the mindset. Uh, but I don't think that was the mindset at all. I think arrogant Westminster politicians, predominantly English, looked at it like, yeah, see, that's what you get. You you tried to get independence to a referendum, but you fucking lost. Um, you know they looked at it like we won ha! well that's that issue put to bed for another 25 years uh and it's it, you know patently that is not the case it was not put to bed um and and brexit actually only served to to reopen all those wounds all over again and so now we've got this burgeoning uh crescendoing movement in scotland to 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 gain independence Um, Now, if I was a if I was a Westminster politician, if I was a Boris Johnson or a Michael Gove, I would I would be super aware of this issue and having people as high profile as Nicola Sturgeon championing this constantly, always beating that drum. And remember, I'm not for Scottish independence. I want to keep the union together. I feel very proud to be British more so than being English. Right. I see see us as as a union of great britain and northern Ireland, like let's get together we're all part of the uk guys like i want us to stay together but i can't ignore you know sturgeon but banging this this drum of independence constantly and if i was boris johnson or michael gove i would be here's what i would be doing i would be cheering on scotland in scotland euros games i would be any any TV address, I would have, yes, a Union Jack behind me, but I would also have a Wales flag and a Scotland flag. behind. I would be making such a song and dance about being pro-Scotland at any point. I would be putting a... Do you know what? I'd go the full hog. I'd put on a Scottish accent. Uh, just, I mean, maybe that might not help from somebody as plummy as Johnson. Uh, it would, I suppose it would be seen as, like, mocking. But, I, do you know, you take my point. I would be... I would be, uh, I'd be going full the whole hog. I'd be trying to be pro Scotland as much as possible, getting filmed, pictured at Euros games, cheering them on. But I don't see any of that. I don't see any real effort on Westminster's side to try and keep Scotland on side, lest even like win over new Scottish voters to to uh, dismiss the idea of independence i think independence the desire for it up there is growing and growing and growing and i think the 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 perception that i have is that they they continue to ignore and belittle and um cast aside and mock the prospect of scottish independence uh, seemingly completely un- unaware that all this does is fuel the desire that they have to be uh to be heard to be independent um and i don't feel they they have that they don't feel listened to at all at the moment they don't feel like they're being taken seriously by westminster and every fucking day that goes by where someone like sturgeon says we want the independence uh, vote done by this date or you know this is what we want to achieve or you know scottish independence this scottish independence that every day that they talk in scotland about this issue that westminster politicians ignore and cast aside and spurn and mock is another day where i think my perspective is that more people walk from this side of the argument over to that side of the argument and start waving scottish flags around and start talking about independence um I, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot massively with this. Um so that's that's Scottish independence it's never far from the headlines and and again it continues to um to to raise its beak in, in the news this week. Um firstly in I think uh I think what, there was a talk there was a sorry a topic of discussion that was raised about whether or not you would let uh Scottish People that live in england vote in this referendum or whether you would um restrict it to just people living in scotland right uh and there's an argument you know there's for and against there it's it's a bit like you know if you're not living in scotland if you're not paying your taxes in scotland well why the fuck should you get a say in how it's going to be governed and and the future of it um which i sort of you know i think i'm in that that part of it it's like if i was living over in uh, singapore you know and i i was paying taxes in singapore and my family's in singapore and my job and all that why would i then have a say in how england is run i've i've left england i live somewhere else now do you know what i mean um but there was some there were some arguments you know for and against that sort of thing it's like if you're born in scotland you identify as scottish and you know you might not be living there right now. You might be working in a job in London, in the city, but it's in your brain that you want to go back to your homeland at some point. So yes, you should have a, a say in what it's going to be like when you get there, right? So there's, there's, there's these arguments for and against, and I get, you know, I understand and accept a lot of them. I think I'm just more in the in the former category uh, myself. Um, other big news this week: uh, Burko, John Burko, who was formerly Speaker of the House. So it's his job to sort of, you know, uh, preside over debates in the House of Commons. Uh, so typically you would have someone like what, like in, in his tenure when he was speaker, you'd have someone like Theresa May uh, going up against Jeremy Corbyn. And, you know, if one of them said an untruth or some one of them said something that was ambiguous or or, or asked a an unfair question, then the speaker would then say order, order, you know, he's that character, right? And anyway, he got in a lot of bother because he was seen as very anti-Brexit. Now, it depends what side of the fence you sit on, I suppose, because if you are uh, a Brexiter, you might look at someone like Berko as anti-Brexit, as uh, part of the establishment, as a Ramona, as a metropolitan elite. He speaks very well. He's uh, he's not plummy, but he's not far off it. You know what I mean? Like He's incredibly articulate and well-educated and uh, to have someone like him constantly clobbering brexit with all of the the weird and wonderful ways that they were trying to get around parliament and the smoke and mirrors tactics and the outright lies that they were telling to try and get brexit over the line in some way shape or form to have someone like him then um smash these these uh these dishonest methods to pieces or try to wrap scrutiny around this uh, this thing that fell apart as soon as you did try to wrap scrutiny around it uh, I mean brexit of course um they saw him as a sort of enemy a traitor if you like uh, and even though he was a card-carrying conservative before he became Speaker of the house um people saw him as a a lefty a, a sort of uh, well maybe not a full-on lefty but they saw him as a, as a, an enemy a traitor um and so anyway the reason that he's been in the news this week is uh well essentially he <laughs> he's now that he's not speaker anymore he doesn't have to be neutral uh so he's come out as a card carrying member of the labor party now so obviously this has ruffled a few feathers um this has you know it's it's reaffirmed a lot of suspicions in the brexit camps uh who saw him as a sort of uh, like i say as a traitor as somebody who was an enemy of the Brexit cause. Because every time that they tried to s- smuggle this past parliament, he would be there to say like, well, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. that That's not what you said a minute ago, blah, 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 blah. You know, wrapping scrutiny around it. And so for him to now say, actually, guys, <laughs> shock, spoiler alert, I'm actually Labour. Uh, a lot of them are just like, see, we fucking told you he's he was never neutral. He was always on the left. He was always trying to ruin this. He was. Al- um, And so... Yeah, that's that. I think that raised a few eyebrows. Now, for somebody like me, I always saw him as a measured, uh, neutral individual who tried to wrap scrutiny around something that consistently tried to evade scrutiny. it's no secret that whenever you tried to write Brexit down... Uh, Whether it was a soft Brexit, a hard Brexit, a no deal Brexit, uh, a red, white and blue Brexit, like Brexit means Brexit. Whichever flavour of Brexit was your personal taste, if you tried to write it down, it would fall to pieces because either this wing of the Tory party would reject it or that wing of the Tory party would reject it or it would be fundamentally undeliverable. Or if you did agree to it, then you would have to have, do you you know what I mean? Like, as soon as you started to write it down, somebody like John Burko would say, how is this going to work? Or this doesn't work? Or you haven't explained this well enough? And so that's why they hated him. But I always saw that as uh, quite a credible uh, person, quite a credible influence to have on the political process. Um, So... I suppose my point here really is that seeing him join the labor party is actually i think he's an asset i think he's you know he's calm he's measured he's articulate he's funny he's charming to listen to he's dangerous for the opposition to have as an asset uh and i think if if starmer has the brains in his head that i hope and everyone tells me that he has I really hope that they make use of him. They should put him out front and centre. They should wheel him out whenever the government fuck up anything, whenever there's any, um, any incompetence or corruption or distortion of the truth, outright lies. They should wheel out John Burko to give a one-liner to the news on that. Um, I mean, Burko. Berc- the irony with somebody like Burko is that his criticism of the Tory party... The reason that he gave for leaving the Conservatives was this current Tory government is incompetent, corrupt and they deliver empty slogans and they fail to deliver to the people. That was his pretty much word for word. I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering that quote, but uh, and he, he, I'm sure he put it way better than I did. But his his chief criticisms of this Tory government, the reason that he's abandoning the Conservatives, is that effectively in his estimation, they have abandoned him. He is a sort of center right uh, type influence and uh, they have gone full hard right, authoritative, uh, not authoritative, um, authoritarian. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. Authoritarian, dictatory. Um, and he's not on board with that at all. He's on board with like liberal values, um, center right fiscal conservatism. And he doesn't see that in this in this incompetent, uh, slogan-obsessed, in- uh, corrupt Tory government. Um, so that was his reason for leaving. And the irony of somebody like him is that he is so articulate, funny and charming that he is definitely the sort of person that you want to wheel out to to deliver those sort of slogany one-minute sound bites to the media. Um, and in some respects, I suppose, the thing that he detests about the Tory party at the moment, is weirdly the sort of thing that he would excel at himself. (laughs) But perhaps in a sort of, you know, an opposition-y kind of manner. Um, It was interesting to see the way that this was reported, though, in in the news, because obviously the newspapers in the UK are predominantly owned by billionaires and and they lean quite aggressively to the right. You know, your Daily Stars, your Sun, your Daily Mail, the Express, um, uh, the Metro is, I think, owned by the Daily Mail still uh and you can say oh no there's a lot of left-leaning rags but no there's there's the guardian and there's the mirror there's two uh the rest of them are all uh to a greater or lesser extent right-wing newspapers and so the way that the majority of newspapers reported this was oh he was just bitter that boris wouldn't give him a peer peerage sorry uh for the house of lords and so he went right fuck this if you're not going to give me a peerage then i'm out um but, I mean, a, a cursory glance at the internet will tell you this is a guy that was offered a peerage in 2019, I think, and rejected it. Uh, so I th- I think as far as he's concerned, I I don't think there's any real doubt that his... I mean, look, I don't know the guy. He could be a fucking monster. And there's there's definitely... Look, there's accusations that John Bercow can be a bit of a bully behind closed doors. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure he's not all nice. I'm not sure he's not fun and charming all the time. Uh, but in terms of his uh, his incentives to join the Labour Party, I think his motives at the moment appear to be credible. I don't think there's any, any doubt there that he has left the Conservative Party because he is truly um, uh, disappointed uh, with with the party that he used to call home. Um, the question now is, as I alluded to a second ago, like will Starmer use him in some respect? And you have to remember, although John Burko is, is now a member of the Labour Party, uh, it doesn't mean that Starmer can immediately put him up front and center as some sort of star of, of the Labour Party because he's not an MP. As far as I know, he is, you know, he was a neutral uh, speaker of the house. He wasn't an MP, uh, so to to use him in any meaningful way i think starmer would have to create some sort of position for him some kind of media facing uh, role or like you couldn't even i think if you're a party of government if you're in number 10 to some extent you can parachute people in even when they're not ministers so great examples of this i think peter mandelson was wasn't he fired wasn't he didn't he have to resign or something and then he came back he came back as a as a business czar or something i seem to remember there was some sort of scandal around that that you know here was a guy who wasn't even a fucking mp anymore and he was still in number 10 advising on and getting involved in shit so it's a bit like and a more recent example i think zach goldsmith was voted out at the last election and there was a big hoo-ha because it was like 24 hours later or 48 hours later they had inducted him into the House of Lords so he could still be involved in this, that, and the other. And it's like, you can't even vote these motherfuckers out anymore. Um. So, so I don't know. On the flip side, look, I, I don't... I would never advocate for that sort of stuff. You know, if you're voted out, if you were an MP and you get voted out, you should not then be involved in the politics slash running of the country. Uh. So it's, you know, to some extent, it's like, how could we then inject Burko into, uh, the proceedings of the opposition. Um, but I have to assume somebody as high profile as him is going to be made use of somewhere down the line. Uh, there's also, there's, there's the argument that having someone like Burko join the Labour Party, uh, what does that do for the, the perspective of the Labour Party? Does that, you know what I mean? Like, Like if you're a voter at the moment and you feel like Labour abandoned you, like let's say you're a worker on 25k and you you love the Labour Party because they reflect your values and they reflect your worker rights. Right. I know this is I'm sort of thinking this through out loud. Right. But stay with me. If you're. If you're a worker on 25k and you want Labour to support you and you feel to some extent Labour have abandoned the working class and they're more concerned with metropolitan elitism and um, and and social justice warrior and wokey stuff, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that that's what they've done. I'm saying if you're a 25k a year worker or you work in a fish and chip shop and you feel like they have abandoned you to some extent, what is it going to make you feel when you see john burko inducted into the labor party in some way shape or form it's not going to dispel those rumors and myths and feelings is it it's going to make you think yeah this you know i've got keir starmer i've got emily thornbury now i've got john burko and these are all educated people and they speak very well they're very articulate and and thornbury and burko are both very funny i think and come across very well um but what is it going to do? It's not going to dispel this idea that Labour have abandoned the working class, um, which is is basically, I suppose, what I'm going to say is I can totally see all the right wing rags jumping on this and saying, "Yeah, there you see, like Labour, they they've abandoned the working class. They just all they care about is metropolitan Islington elite types, and this is an extension of that." I think it's it could easily go down quite badly in some corners, but I don't know. Such is the challenge that Keir Starmer has, uh, to, uh, uh, uh upon him, uh, for now. Uh, personally, I'm excited about it. I think Burko will be, will be an asset. Um, and if he can come out with a few decent, funny sound bites uh, for, for news or like number 10 reports, uh, number, number 10 journalists. Sorry. I can't fucking talk today, guys. Um, uh then i think it, it could serve labor well i don't know um what else has been in the news this week i i saw a tweet the other day of uh, harry cole he's political editor of the sun harry cole comes out with this tweet where he's basically sniping at the guardian right he says he said uh, oh look at this like i'm going to i'm going to do my uh, moronic harry cole impression now right he doesn't really sound like this but let's pretend that he does so his tweet says oh it's funny on tuesday the guardian said this blah 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 and then but then thursday they said this blah, blah, blah. so like it's that kind of format of a tweet and the purpose of it the mechanism that this tweet is employing is it's saying how could the guardian say this on tuesday but then on thursday they completely uh, uh they, by Thursday they're hypocrites because they've said this and it goes against what they said two days you know it's like that kind of thing but it's so base level it's so obvious that it I mean it's the, the, the reason why I think it's worth mentioning is because Harry Cole is political editor of The Sun he's the most senior political journalist in that building and why I think it's interesting is because somebody like Harry Cole must know that The Guardian houses more than one journalist, right? <laughs> these these Guardian articles that he's referencing are not editorials. It's not written by the editor of The Guardian. It's not the the newspaper's opinion in either one of these things. They are two separate journalists. And one of them is a, a, a satirical journalist, a guy called Joel Golby, who's like ex-Vice. He's very funny, by the way, incidentally. Um, so someone like Harry Cole must know that, that, that The Guardian houses more than one opinion, right? I know some people caricature it as a sort of left-leaning rag, and, you know, it's just full of environmentalists with dreadlocks and, and so on, and that's great. Cool. If that gets you through the day um, caricaturing, then awesome. But you have to know that that is incorrect. Uh, The Guardian houses a a rich array of weird opinions and some of them reject the other ones and some of them uh, conflict with the paper's editorial line. And, you know, Theresa May has written shit in The Guardian. But for, for the political editor of The Sun to be like, oh, well, it's really funny The Guardian said this on Tuesday and now on Thursday, then they've said totally the opposite. Like... It's like, I don't understand if Harry Cole is so moronic that he doesn't understand that. Or if he's just pretending to be that moronic so that Sun readers who are also quite moronic uh, feel like he's, you know, he's the same as them. Uh, Or, you know, oh, look, Harry Cole's just as dumb as we are. Wicked. Um, Or is it. is it as cynical as i think it is you know like like or, or a fourth option is it that the sun only has one opinion the sun basically has one opinion throughout the sun which is murdoch's line right that comes down the wire into the sun editorial offices and then whoever the fuck is the editor of the sun at the moment i honestly don't know um probably should know that uh just just retails out Rupert Murdoch's opinions about shit. If Rupert Murdoch wants you to support Boris Johnson, then that's the paper's editorial line. And so does Harry Cole just think it's like that in every newspaper? I I assume that's that's actually probably the the truth of it mixed in with maybe a bit of the third option which is really cold cynicism which is like they know that it's, it's different journalists. They know that The Guardian housed more than one opinion, but they just put this shit out across Twitter because they know that then like a thousand people will reply back to Harry Cole's tweet and go like, oh yeah, typical Guardian, Ugh. you know? It's just, I just thought it was interesting and, and worth mentioning because I don't think that's the first time and it won't be the last time that Harry Cole gives a bit of a jibe to The Guardian. But you have to wonder, like, what does that achieve? What is that? You know, is that just a, an extension of the culture war going into newspapers? You know? I don't know. Another interesting tweet I saw this week was the the Queen appealing for royal weeders. I don't know how big it this should have been a way bigger news story than just a little tweet coming from the Buckingham Palace twitter account or wherever the fuck it was that i saw um but it was it, it's like the queen is appealing for members of the public to become a royal weeder so you can give up like you know 6 hours of your thursday or sunday or whatever and you can come down to buckingham palace and pull out weeds and plant beautiful flowers for her majesty i was like what fucking planet are you living on who we, do i want to become a royal weeder I would rather fuck a blood relative. Honestly, truly. I would like, here is a billionaire, a literal billionaire with her palace and her limousines and her fucking Bentleys parked out front and her horses and her corgis and royal jets and multi million pound investments and weird tax arrangements, which I, I don't think we still know the extent of. Um, here is this billionaire and she's like, would you like to come and pull out? Would you like the honour of pulling out my weeds for me? Oh, my Lord. And do you know what's sad? Like people will volunteer. People will be like, oh, "It's such an honour. And yeah, for like one day throughout this whole year of pulling out weeds and getting blisters and cuts and two of my fingers got infected and actually I couldn't couldn't hold my grandchildren any longer because my hands hurt so much for about a week i i missed my own granddaughter's fourth birthday because i I my hands hurt so much from weeding and my back hurt i actually had to spend some time in hospital but it was worth it for the seven minutes that her madge came downstairs and then managed to look the other not look at us directly in the eye and then just you know give us a quick nod and pretend that she cared and then Went on a, Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so... Like, I, people will do this. People will volunteer. And I will walk past looking at them. I'll be like, look at these sad motherfuckers. What, what... How brainwashed do you have to be to go and pull out weeds for a billionaire, unpaid, while she clambers from her Bentley into her palace? Jesus Christ. When will people wake up? It's... Like, is it just, do you ever, like, what, like, read news stories like this and then think to yourself, am I the only person that this makes sense to? Like, is everyone else in the country fucking nuts or, I I don't know, I despair. I see news stories like that and I'm just like, I mean, I can block that Twitter account, but, it's yeah, I don't know. you just want to slap these people you just want to set i might set up a separate twitter account a parody one of buckingham palace and then like start another campaign but then anyone that like applies for it i'll just be like yeah what's your home address turn up and just punch them in the face you need to wait are you fucking retarded what is wrong with you (laughs) um so yeah i don't know man got my goat um another another story this week we're flying through these on this episode of, uh, of fuck this week another another story this week that got me got me um riled up was there was there was a story about uh hunter biden and we don't really talk about hunter biden much in the uk news um because he's the son of not our president so who gives a fuck right but um there was There's his laptop that was uh, found or uh, acquired from a fix-it place in Delaware, I think, in the US. So, like, way out in the sticks. And anyway, years later, like, he never collected it. Years later, somebody opened it and hacked into it. And now they get all these news stories about, you know, and it, because he had his phone connected to it. Uh, they have access to old messages. And one of these messages is him talking to his, I think, sister-in-law. Uh, trying to be set up with one of her friends and the sister-in-law is offering him women like just saying well you know how about Janie or you know or how about um Nikki you know like just so like the way that you would do to a friend you'd be like oh you know what do you think of my friend Joanna and anyway so by the right-wing press obviously this has been uh, uh, reinterpreted and marketed <laughs> if, if that's not a you know, the way that they do, they fucking, it is marketing, isn't it? You just take a story and then you think, what weird twist can we give this? And so now they're saying, oh, it's it's uh, people trafficking. He's involved in people trafficking. She's offering him slave women. And he's saying, yeah, I don't like this. Anyway, in, in amongst this exchange with his sister-in-law, um, she offers him uh, an Asian woman or, uh, yeah, like sort of Thai or Chinese or something. And he says, no yellow. Right. So racist slur. Um, and so the right leaning rags jump on this. Right. It's a bit like your racist uncle saying you said colored. That is not on. You know, you would look back at your racist uncle like, are you fucking kidding me? You have three swastika tattoos and I've watched you beat a black man to death and you're not going to let me say colored. What? You know, <laughs> like it's it's a bit, you know, like, really now you care about this shit? It's the thing that, that sort of irked me a bit was uh, I saw someone share the article about it. And he said, if this was actually, I don't think it was him that said it. I think it was somebody that commented underneath it, said, if this was Trump, the mainstream media would be going nuts right now, which is true. Right. If if Trump had said something, if he had referred to a Chinese woman as yellow Everyone would be going nuts. That is true, uh, but nobody is going nuts because this is this is about Hunter Biden, right? So, firstly, they're not going nuts because it's being amplified as some sort of people trafficking story. Which, you know, full disclosure, it could still be. I would say, I'd venture, I'd hedge a bit that this is this is not the case. It's not going to turn out to be a people trafficking story. <laughs> it's just not. Uh, I would say balance of probabilities far more likely that this is a right-wing rag reinterpreting and marketing it out as something that sounds way more damaging to the Bidens than sister-in-law tries to set him up with someone. So let's assume that it is not a people trafficking story. Let's home in just on the yellow comment. Um, Then the, then the the accusation that people would go nuts if it was Trump saying it. Well, yes, that is true. But... Uh, the reason that they're not going nuts on it is is almost in, inverted. It's almost sort of ironic in the sense that because you turned and looked the other way for the five years that Trump was actually president, and remember, Hunter Biden is not the actual president, um, because you spent that entire time looking the other way and dismissing anyone's, um, what's the word, anyone's concerns, anyone's outrage, anyone's disgust, at using racial slurs because you dismissed that because you didn't take any of that seriously then now when you think this is worth taking seriously nobody is going to take you seriously do you know what i'm sure there's a more articulate way of expressing that but i, I think you, you get my point right if you spent five years saying oh come on don't be so hysterical oh so what he said this," oh he called, he called Haiti a shithole country. Yeah, whatever. Oh, he banned all Muslim people coming in, but oh, no, come on, you're being his stuff. If you spent that entire time, and those are the, just the things that I think of off the top of my head, right? Trump has a rich history of racism behind him. Google it. There's about 10 or 15 instances where you're like, what? He, he said slash did what? So if you are willing to look the other way over somebody like Donald J. Trump, and now with Hunter Biden... He, he refers to someone as like Asian as yellow. And now you're outraged? It's like, come on, man. I mean, stop faint Stop. This is embarrassing for you. Just sit down. If you've tanked the political discourse to such an extent that people aren't willing to take someone like Donald Tr- J. Trump seriously, then when somebody like Hunter Biden comes up, who doesn't have the rich history. I mean, look, I don't know the guy. Maybe he's a real piece of shit, but from what i have read and seen he's not a totally bad guy um so if there's if you're not willing to... do you know what i mean i think i hopefully have got my point across there um it's just it's like i, I can't think of a decent um uh, uh metaphor to to describe it but it's just like you know where have you been man if if this is truly a source of disgust for you, if you are really disgusted by racial slurs and calling people by uh, terms that are at best outdated and at worst derogatory and hugely uncomfortable um, to make them feel bad or belittled or not listened to, if if that is a source of outrage for you, then where the fuck have you been? Do you know what I mean? It's And, and by... By jumping on this and pretending to be outraged, you, I think you come off as disingenuous and you and you make it difficult for people like me to take you seriously about anything then. Because it's like whenever you are upset about something, it's like, well, are you really upset or are you just trying to point score? Because it feels like point scoring. And let's just, you know, may, maybe you are genuinely upset by it. And if that is the case, then fine. You know, I, I agree that calling someone yellow is unacceptable and there should be repercussions for it um but it's just if you're gonna make that case man you need to be really careful about what you have personally let be swept under the rug before um because it's just not good enough to be uh, to to look the other way um when it's your hero that's doing it if i think if there's anything that's that the me too movement and and the last few years have taught us it's like don't what, what's the biblical phrase thou shalt not worship false idols right don't have some sort of hero worshipping complex because they always, always let you down. And I say that as a former fan of Michael Jackson, Louis C.K., Kurt Cobain. They always let you down, man. Um, let's move on. Um, I saw I saw a headline yesterday uh, in the Daily Express and it made me audibly laugh as I walked past the newspapers uh, section in, in the local garage. That's what I do pretty much every morning. I, you know, before the kids wake up, I just jump in the car. I drive down to the garage and, uh, you know, I say hello to the lady or guy behind the desk uh, like they're my best friend because I'm slowly morphing into Alan Partridge. Um, You know, I quite like the idea that in the writer's room for Alan Partridge, they made him become friends with the staff behind the 24 hour garage. Because it was it was like the the lowest level of making friends with a person in retail was like oh what's the shittest kind of shop probably a twenty four hour garage and they're open twenty four so they can't get away from it you know like all of these sorts of things to make Alan Partridge more of a loser and now that's my actual life that's like me getting out of the house and forming some sort of like relationship with a human. In a 24-hour garage. That is my actual life, is the Alan Partridge uh, comedic mechanism to make you laugh at someone that's really pathetic. I am that guy now. Anyway, I'm going right off on a tangent. Um, If i had carried on talking about that for about five minutes longer, I would have had a full-on emotional breakdown on this episode. Um, So yesterday, I, I walked past the newspaper section, and Daily Express, the headline was... Small-minded EU plot to ban British TV shows, right? Small-minded EU, right? The lack of self-awareness is astounding there. Uh, I always say this, but Siri on my iPhone will achieve self-awareness before the right-wing tabloids in this country. I swear to God. Um, Small-minded EU plot. I like the use of the word plot because it sounds like more devious, more treacherous. Small-minded EU plot to ban British TV shows. The only word that's missing there is great, isn't it? To ban great British TV shows. Um why is this so funny? Like it's it's I'll tell you what it is, right? Brexit is done. Brexit politically, legally, you know, we voted to leave, we've had the withdrawal agreement, it's pretty much in the bag, nailed in, in the ground, right? Um and we're getting to the point now where we're winding down industries, fishing decimated, farming decimated, and people are rightly coming to the conclusion that it, there, is, there is no pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. Uh, and tabloids like The Express know that. And politicians like Michael Gove and Dominic Raab and Boris Johnson know that. And the only things that they have left in lieu of real Brexit wins of brexit successes right remember all they've got is blue passports which are manufactured in france not in the uk um and and culture war nonsense right all they can do is continue to pipe poppies statues the proms just just symbolism there's no substance to it it's just symbolism so in absence of brexit wins right and before i get interrupted by somebody saying well we just got a trade deal with australia yeah we did uh nowhere near the same amount of trade as the eu it is dwarfed by the trade that we had with the eu so uh, let's move on um in the absence of any real brexit wins all they have is this culture war shit. all they can do is continue to persuade you that the eu are evil or devious or uh, murky or corrupt um, so we can expect loads more of these headlines to creep across the pages of the right wing tabloids. It will be stuff demonizing the EU as though, um, you know, they're crooked or corrupt or corpocratic or um, or, or endless. You know, you, you fill in the blanks. Um, and so it's stuff like this. It's like small minded EU plot to ban British TV shows. So basically what they're doing, I think the substance of it was that the EU are no longer going to. I mean, I don't know what involvement the EU fucking have with like French TV and commissioning and scheduling on these weird and wonderful, you know. It's not like there's a Euro is there a Euro TV channel? It's not like we're all watching fucking Euroflicks or whatever. <laughs> but whatever input they do have, anyway, they they're gonna uh they're gonna focus more on European produced content, right? Um now it doesn't really surprise me. I mean, you, what, whichever territory you are, you have a vested interest in your own content succeeding, right? You have a vested interest in um, incentivizing and growing your own talent. Um, so to me, it makes perfect sense that the EU would focus their efforts on European producers, European films, European TV series. Um, so I, I don't know why that's so shocking to the Express. And, and the second thing is why why does a newspaper like the express have the moral high ground of expecting the eu to continuously pull in our tv content right so what they, they're they expecting us to buy in fleabag to buy in top gear to buy in uh line of duty and you know sell and resell these across you know france germany holland like wherever they're expecting us to do but are the Express demanding that we buy in European shows? <laughs> do we do we really think that a newspaper like the fucking Daily Express, whose whose logo at the top may as well be a fucking picture of Alf Garnett, um, do we really think that the Express are, are are campaigning to have subtitled French dramas shown on BBC One? <laughs> no. And the second that, if, if the if the Daily Express editorial team were asked to sit down and watch a Dutch legal thriller with subtitles, the second that they saw the subtitles, they would break out in cold sweats and fucking, you know, send the red arrows over to bomb Holland. Or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no way that they would be interested in bringing in European content. But for some reason, there is an expectation that France and Germany, and and this is what I mean, like, when I go off on one about british exceptionalism it's like we we have this this uh national mindset in the uk that we're different that the world should listen to us that the world wants to buy in bag and, and top like maybe they do but it it's not because we're fundamentally better than anyone else it's it's there's a complex array of reasons why our content might be of interest you know a lot of the world speaks english uh if not as a first language, then as a second language. Uh, we have a very, you know, we've got a great history of uh, British produced TV and films, and they're all very popular all the way across the globe. And that's great. But that doesn't take away from the fact that there are French producers and there's German producers. And there's, you know, I keep, I keep talking about France and Germany, but there's Italian and there's Dutch and there's, you know, people in, I've run out of European countries now, I'm not, not showing myself to be much of a of a, of a euro file am i run out of european countries at, at four or five <laughs> portuguese spanish there we go right um so so yeah i don't know it's it's so weird that they make such a song and dance about it but yet fail to offer anything in in reciprocation you know what i mean like what like what are you offering in in exchange for these countries buying in all these tv shows nothing so what the fuck are you getting angry about i don't know um the uh the last thing i want to cover off this week because on the last one of these i talked a lot about what was in the news obviously because the the title of this is is fuck this week um but i also like to pepper in a little bit of uh of personal stuff and um i, I did a TikTok this week about stand-up about my experience in the stand-up comedy scene in london so i did stand up for five or six years and uh and a lot of shit went down in that time um, a lot of scandalous stuff and sometimes it's fun to just you know to think back of uh, that stuff and it seemed to garner a bit of attraction on tiktok so I, I thought you know what i'll finish off in the last 15 minutes with this i'll finish off uh with, with some tales from that period um so when, when i started doing stand-up i think i was 30 or 31 so it's quite late in the game um, and a lot of my friends had uh, settled down or like moved out of london and it just felt like i wasn't ready to do that or or hadn't found somebody yet that i was uh, ready to do that with so i started doing open mic comedy and loads of stuff happened loads of weird and wonderful shit um and i think top of the list of the scandals that happened were um there was this guy i'm gonna call him james right uh and he started about the same time as i did uh and I, th- I think he was a little bit older than me i think i was about 31 and he was about maybe early 40s at that point and um he he did observational comedy and so did i but he was a bit better at you know a few of the parts of stand-up compared to me so he was better at the writing um and and the performance actually uh and he was more charismatic i mean he was basically just a better comedian uh than i was uh through and through so he he progressed very quickly uh he got himself an agent and he went on national tours and he was uh supporting famous tv comedians you know he was doing very well thank you very much sort of thing and um uh, anyway as he was sort of really starting to get a bit of a name for himself uh, it came out that this guy was actually a convicted paedophile. Um, and so, you know, it got me thinking, like, well, at least I'm at least I'm better than you at not being a paedophile. <laughs> That's, like, honestly, well, I was like, you know, you might be better than me at the writing. And, you know, they want you to be funny. Absolutely. But top of the list... Of what they expect is that you don't fuck kids. That is incredibly important for, for a stand-up comedian. Is that you don't, uh, you don't. Yeah, it turned out he had he was convicted of I think kidnapping and tying up a fifteen-year-old schoolboy. It was like quite a fucked-up case, and it all exploded on this forum called um called the Comedy Collective, which is uh the the Facebook group for London comedians. And this is, you know, going back a few years. Anyway, James, uh, as we'll call him, he, you know, he went from being this former open micer who was now a, you know, semi pro slash professional comedian who had pictures of himself gigging with like TV names and, you know, this, the sort of status that a lot of us were kind of, you know, pining for. Oh, I wished I had an agent. I wished I was supporting this comedian and um, uh, to to being on the comedy collective and being it was basically a a social media lynching you know he was exposed as being this convicted pedo and people just saying no he doesn't we're not representing him anymore no we've cancelled all of his gigs no complete like career death and what was so weird about it was he so then he he disappeared right as as you would do you would expect somebody like that to just go you know head in hands my career is over shit but he resurfaced about like I think it must have been about 6 months later it was definitely within a year uh and people were like what the fuck is this motherfucker doing on youtube doing comedy like they're saying like to to James as we're calling him like, James, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get off. You're not supposed to be doing this anymore. This is over for you. And uh, and his response, as I recall, was like, well, you know, like the whole thing is actually a really funny story, you know. Um, you know, I, maybe I'd, li- I'd like to do an Edinburgh show about it. Like, complete balmy shit reaction. Like, if you get, like, I remember people replying to him saying, like, for you, the game is over. You can never do this. Like, I, I think the the thing that the thing that weirded me out was, I mean, look, first of all, it's a weird thing to attempt to come back from. Like, you need to accept that this is over for you. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say about this thing that you were convicted of. It is a weird thing that you got into. And it's a weirder thing <laughs> that you're now trying to turn it into material. That's hugely insensitive. To whoever you hurt in the past um but i think top of the list of, of things that were weird about it for me were that he ever assumed that he could become a professional and famous i mean you have to assume that the goal was to become professional slash famous uh, comedian you know that how would this person feel this person that you hurt um seeing your face on tv chuckling along with i mean i would be devastated i would be it it would crush me i think if i had been abused by somebody and then i saw them on tv joking and laughing uh yeah i oh it was so weird and then he disappeared uh from the comedic periphery once more i don't know what happened to him i don't know what he does now i hope he's involved in some sort of like you know community um you know, reintroduction or helping offenders scheme. That would be cool. But uh, yeah, really, really weird, man. There were so many other weird things that happened as well on that circuit. It was like there was one guy who went home with a, a a female comedian. And as I recall, they didn't sleep together. um, But he they stayed in the same bed and he took a picture of her just in her pants or something and then sent it to his mate as though he had slept with her. And then this picture did the rounds, and she went, as you would, she was outraged. She went incandescent with rage. Um, And so everyone came down on him like a ton of bricks, just like, what the fuck are you doing, like, taking pictures of girls in their pants? Like, it was weird behaviour. And I think he then was dropped by his agent, and... um, I mean, my memory's a bit fuzzy about that one, but yeah, that was Like, it's such a... uh, You have to be careful, because I don't ever want to make people not want to pursue comedy um because it is there's a lot of really lovely people on the stand-up circuit ashley hayden gary shaw harry U. eldridge ishan akbar alex martini all of these people i met on on the circuit and they were really lovely people and we hung out and drank and had a lot of fun um and you know there's loads of people that i i gigged with who have gone on to great things Jamali Maddox. Jamali um, ishan akbar i just mentioned but he's yeah he's got he's gone on to great things uh jester jacob seems to be doing really well leo curse is doing really well um uh you know there's 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 ample really lovely people uh but there is also i'd be lying if i said that it was a really welcoming lovely place for young women um it's you know it's not and and for me to be aware of that as a as a guy who, who doesn't you know let's be clear i i don't have to deal with any of those problems that young women do it's a different experience for me it's just a completely different place for me walking downstairs into a basement where there's a drunk people um and and i could just walk up to the bar buy a drink for myself and be left alone and i can just read my notes and just think about my set it is a different experience for a young woman of 20 or 22 walking into that basement saying, yes, I'm signed up. Can I, I I'm going to do my set tonight? Yeah, okay, cool. And then you walk up to the bar and within seconds, there is some creepy, lecherous motherfucker walking up. So it's your first time, is it? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I, I just want to read my notes. So, oh, yeah, sure, sure. No, I was just reading my notes. So, do, do, maybe we could help each other practice. Do you want to come around mine? <laughs> is it, oh, God, it's just, you know, and I don't think that's, I don't think I'm exaggerating there. I think that is an experience for a lot of a lot of young female comics. They just have to put up with that. Um, uh, in fact, you know, I'm taking taking the piss to some extent, but it's that there, there's a guy who ran a club who I'm not going to name. I will call him Murray, uh, and Murray runs a night, and everyone knows that Murray is a lecherous sleazebag. bag who, you know, pulls the young female comics in nice and close and just, you know, touches them on the thigh. And, you know, the sort of thing where for you or I, like sane, normal men, you would never put your hand on a girl's thigh. That is personal space. You would never I would never just like pull a a young woman in and give it like give her a cuddle. If, you know, I'm running the night and I pull it like there's just a way that you engage with people and it does not involve putting your hands on or touching you know what i mean like i would be terrified if like if i if i did that and then you cringed or like you know what i mean like if you if you reacted in a in a disgusted way oh my god that would kill my soul i would feel horrendous about myself for months having done that but for some of these people they don't i don't know they just don't register that reaction or that feeling or and or there's no apprehension for for how it might be unacceptable to touch someone like that and anyway this murray guy is one of these people and everyone knows about him everyone knows that murray is a lecherous sleazebag but whenever this is like outed if you like whenever this is discussed on a forum or openly in conversation or text groups he comes down on you like a ton of bricks. He will be like, "Well, I don't see any evidence. Uh, have you? Are you going to provide some evidence?" No. Well, then I'll remind you that what you're talking about is libel and slander, and I will take anyone to court that even dares to suggest that. Blah blah blah. Doesn't change him though. <laughs> like you would think, you would think that after the fifth year or seventh year or eleventh year of people saying. Yeah, Murray is a fucking sleaze bag that keeps oh he, he touches people inappropriately oh, he's he's fucking gross. Like you would think that after all of these times that this guy has had to say to people um oh oh I'll sue you if you call me a sleazy lechbag. Um lecherous sleaze bag, sorry. Get my words mixed up. Um uh, you would think if you have to warn people <laughs> That you're gonna sue them that many times, you might stand back and self reflect and go, "Hang on, maybe, maybe the twenty seventh person that called me a creep, maybe they've all got some sort of point. (laughs) Maybe I should keep my hands to myself." Um. So yeah, it's doesn't stop him being very vocal about threatening legal action whenever it's raised in discussion. Um, but as far as I know, he's you know still going, still going with it um i'm trying to think what like what other scandals there have been um the last one i'll i'll offer today and then i think we're going to wind it up because christ alive i've been talking for an hour um the the last one so i mentioned before about like comedy forums and and whatsapp groups that people talk about and uh, sorry talk about comedy on and uh there is a forum out there uh where a few comedians have jumped on it um and it, it it was an interesting place to go and then you know see who's whose gigs were running and and what the conditions were of those gigs and um uh and to see what gigs were on tonight and occasionally you would be able to post some stuff about yourself on there um, like this is my my five minute set from the other day guys what do you think of my five minute set um so it's a good place to to exchange ideas and thoughts and feelings right if you're a if you're a new comedian and one of the guys that was an admin for this we will call him sanjay uh he made it very he, he was very vocal he made it very very known that he was a sort of male feminist type character uh and he took a very dim view of anyone who was sexist or misogynist in his eyes, right? So that's a very um, uh, important point to make, is anyone that he perceived to be sexist or misogynistic, he would uh, take a dim view of and, you know, ban from his forum um, or remove their comments or block or... um, at, At his worst, he was talking about documenting. He would keep documented... Uh, records of people who had been sexist or misogynist and remember look it's it's all to do with his perception it was all to do with you know I might go on stage and tell a funny story that makes people laugh about an ex-girlfriend um I might drop a four-letter word in there I might be outrageous and exaggerate certain things, and you could make a case that, well, you know what? If it's sexist aid, then it's not funny. You don't need to do sexist material. You don't need to do misogynistic material. It's you don't have to do that. So just don't, you know, there's a case to be made for that, but there's also a case to be made, a counter argument, that some of this stuff just works. All right. So I might tell a story that to some people might feel a bit sexist or exaggerated or whatever. Uh, But, you know, as anyone will bore you with in open mic comedy, it is subjective. To some people it will be funny, to other people not so much. And his perception, Sanjay's, was that uh, anything like this was sexist, misogynistic, derogatory, has no place. And if you dared to comment or share anything or, or anything like that, or belittle the male feminist cause, uh, he would see that as uh as as a bannable offense you have no place in london comedy and you should be removed and i remember one time he went full-on like fire breathing about it and he said something like this is this one goes out to um like this is him just writing into into the forum he says this one is to all of you people who think that you're being funny when you write a um uh, a sexist tweet or comment um you're not being funny we want less of you in this industry and uh we will continue to fight against you and ban you and blah 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 so the i suppose if i was a real right winger i would call it like cancel culture because if he didn't like it he wouldn't engage on it he would just try to ban you um or or pull down your posts remove them uh so so you would think, right, somebody like this—that is that fire-breathing feminist, specifically a male feminist—that he would then be actually a very charming and gentlemanly type character, right? And what it actually turned out as after you know two, three, four years of having to listen to this shit and you know him going like that's incredibly sexist and blah blah blah, and I'm going to remove this and and if you do this one more time, you'll be banned from the forum. After you know years of this, it turned out that. Uh, supposedly i can only go on what i've heard here that he had um you know cozied up to girls trying to get them to sleep with him and then when it became clear that they weren't going to sleep with him he actually turned quite nasty and there were words like predator and harassment being thrown around (laughs) and it was the, the whole thing made me laugh because it's so perfect of this whole you know sort of dainty archetype of a male feminist of like i'm an ally No, I consider myself a male feminine. It's like you're you are you're all about the equality until it comes down to the prospect of you getting some action. And then if you think you're going to get some action and it doesn't pan out, then you're just like all the other creepers out there. You're just mean and nasty. And so there were these girls that were saying, you know, he booked me for this or he was he said that he really loved my material and he was going to help me write, blah, blah, blah. And then when I I said that I had a boyfriend or I was seeing someone else, then immediately he lost interest. He didn't want to help me anymore. And you know what? There's a part of me that's like, that's that's kind of how (laughs) young men are. I wanted to be, a, you know, I don't want to be completely unreasonable there is definitely a part of being a young man where it's like you know especially if you're not an overly attractive guy where you 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 work the angles that you can right so you try to get the girl alone so you can spend some time with the girl so you can build that relationship you can start seeing what you have in common you can make her laugh you can get her to associate you with having a good time you know you go out you um you know maybe after three or four writing sessions together you're getting on great and then you say do you want to go out for a drink you know you see where it could blossom into um there's a part of me that understands that but i think where i get off the bus is it's like it's disingenuous to a say that you're only interested in you know writing oh yeah come around i'd love to help you write or oh, i think you've got real talent yeah come around or i'll book you for this night i'll book you for my gig because i think you're really funny when in actual fact what you're always thinking the whole time is i want to get in your pants i want to get in your pants i want to get in your pants. <laughs> you know it's it is disingenuous you can't get around that so there's that and then there's the male feminist angle which is you know if you're gonna fire breathe all this male feminist stuff about you know, respecting women, and don't be sexist, and don't be a predator, and don't be, um, you know, and and your main gripe is people, you know, people like Jim Jeffries or Jim Norton would not survive this guy's comedy forum rules and regulations, um, if you're gonna be that restrictive and that fire breathing about it, I don't think you then get to behave <laughs> in that fashion. I think you have to be respectful. I think you have to be, um. You know, you have to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Look, that, that bothered me. And, and eventually he was removed from the forum. He, One of his other admins had to step in and be like, right, I run this thing now. <laughs> I don't know how happy they were about it because it's like, oh, great. So you've turned out to be a fucking weirdo. Now I've got to run this shit. This place is a cesspool already. I don't want to have to deal with this. So yeah, man, it's weird. It's, it's really colored my perception of the archetypal male feminist to be honest um because i don't know look I, i've always considered myself a what's the word like e- is equalitarian is that or egalitarian i can't remember what the actual word is now but i'm all about equality and equality of opportunity and you know i'd book a female i did book female comics for my for my nice um my my favorite mc ever was tanya moore she was amazing um sarah keyworth um trying to think who else I booked. Who else did I book? Can't remember a fucking name now. Um Amy Haveska. Uh yeah, man, like I've oh, Charlie Oh fuck. I wanna say Charlie Green. Don't think her name is Charlie Green. Anyway, look, there there were loads of female acts um there. But I don't I don't subscribe to this idea that you can't say anything sexist or even misogynistic on a stage if if you're working your material out, if you're trying to find the funny in it, do you know what I mean? Like you have, it just has to be free reign. Unless you're going to get up there and say something truly unacceptable, where there's a 99% probability that it's not going to work. Then I think you need to just let people get on with it. You know, you, you like open mic comedy should be the last bastion of, freedom of speech if that doesn't sound too grand like it's it's like comedy itself should be fairly free and open you should be able to say whatever you like um but open mic comedy even more so because you're you're just testing ideas you're just working it out you're trying to find where you fit in and what your voice is and the words that you can say that are funny that other people can't do you know what i mean like it's a real learning curve that area and so for then for somebody to be like you can't say this and I police this and you can't post your stuff on here and you won't get a gig from me. If you it's, you know, it, in the most forgiving sense, I would say that's unacceptable. And in the most unforgiving sense, I would say, well, you better walk the walk. You better be squeaky clean. If you're going to be like that. And this guy, I'm afraid was not. Um, Anyway, listen, guys, I've been chatting. I've been gassing away for over an hour and I'm sure you're all bored. If you've got to the end of this episode, listening to me rabbit on uh thank you so much and please do uh, give us a review and uh, a tweet at abe thompson or at and other disappointments on twitter um thanks very much for listening and i will catch up with you very very soon i've got an episode with comedian ben adams that we're recording tomorrow night all being well and um i will see you on the flip side thanks very much ciao <laughs>